welcome to another edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. Here with me today is Abigail Garfalo, and she's an educator with environmental and energy stewardship. How are you doing today, Abigail? I'm doing good. It's starting to get cold out. Oh, yes, it is. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, Halloween's right there. So mm -hmm. let's go ahead and uh, get started with some of the questions here. Yeah. So uh, what are the challenges for wildlife in the winter? Yeah, so there's um, the really obvious one, right, is that it's cold. Um, the There's uh, the temperatures decrease and that causes water to freeze. And honestly, if um, water freezes in a cell membrane, um, then that typically means cell death. Um, however, if water freezes between cells, um, then you, like there's usually no damage. Um, and so there's this point that a lot of species get to that's considered a lethal temperature um, in which cell freezing can no longer be prevented. Um, and so that's a, that's a really big piece is this really cold temperatures that cause the cells themselves to freeze or the water in the cells. Um, and then the other really big one is there's just less food. Um, and so um, there's less foliage for our herbivores or our plant eaters to eat. And because there's less of that, there's less there's less of those plant eaters, which means there's less um, carnivores for because there's less food for them. And so just generally all around less food in the winter. Um, and it, it causes um, some interesting adaptations that wildlife have to have to have in order to deal with these conditions. Well, sometimes it's so quiet. What are animals doing in the winter? Yeah, so um, our animals in the winter are, are doing a few things. One, they're, um, the ones that are here are, are getting warmer clothes. Um, the birds, they're getting a little fluffier. Um, they're growing these down feathers to trap heat. Um, the mammals are also growing a little bit of a thicker fur. Um, you'll even notice it maybe if you have a dog that is a, a certain you know type of dog that grows thicker fur in the winter. Um, and then some of them even get fatter. Um, so I don't know if you've started to notice, but the squirrels are getting nice and chubby. I love a good chubby squirrel. I think they're adorable. Um, and that's because the bigger, the, the fatter an animal is, or the you know bigger it is, um, they, that means that their surface area is smaller compared to their like volume. And so that means there's less opportunities to lose heat. So they'll, they have, um, you know, different ways that they kind of keep warm. Um, but, you know, some of them are just plain sleeping. Um, so we have kind of four categories of ways that animals deal with winter. Um, it's kind of a little kitschy. I call them sleepers, nappers, flappers and snackers. Um, so I'll start with those sleepers. Um, and a lot of people think, you know, when they think of sleepers, they think of hibernation in the winter and not a lot of animals in Illinois actually hibernate. Um, it's it's usually only like the ground squirrels and the chipmunks. Um, now we do have amphibians and reptiles. They do their own form of hibernation. It's called brumination. Um, it's essentially, um, you know, for cold blooded animals. Um, and they take advantage of, you know, different aspects of chemistry in the sense that um, they'll dive down into the bottom of a body of water and, and um, temperatures change slower in water than they do in air. Um, and so they'll, they'll take advantage of that. Um, and then my favorite little fact about frogs actually is some of them even produce um, a high glucose substance that serves as kind of an antifreeze. Um, and so it stops them from freezing and that, that cell freezing that, that we were talking about. Um, and then another form of sleeping that 
insects do is uh, diapause. It's not really sleeping. It just means they've stopped development. Um, and so um, they, uh, black swallowtails, for example, they overwinter in their chrysalis form. Um, and it's usually um, when insects are overwintering, it's in their immature stage. So their egg, their larva, their chrysalis, the adults will typically die in the fall. Now, um, a lesser form of sleeping, right, is napping. Um, our nappers, um, they go into what we call dormancy. Um, so opossums, skunks, they'll sleep just a lot more, but they, they aren't going into like true hibernation. Um, and they will um, come out to eat when it gets a bit warmer. And some animals, like you were mentioned, it's so quiet, will actually physically leave. We call those our flappers um, they're, or they're migrating. Um, and the most common one we think of is birds. Birds migrate. Um, and um, my favorite example of a migrating species though is the monarch butterfly. They'll do this really cool multi-generational migration um, and migrate all the way to Mexico. Um, and migration can occur from a few hundred miles to thousands of miles. Um, and so some of them travel quite far. Some only travel to just slightly warmer spaces. Um, and then the animals that are sticking around, the ones that you might actually see in the winter, I call those snackers. Um, they're the ones that they're going to load up on those high calorie goods and snack throughout the winter. So, you know, our squirrels, our rabbits, some of our bird species as well. So, um, they're doing a whole host of, of adaptations, these species across the winter, um, you know, and like I said, I, I really like those, those four categories of my sleepers, our snapper, or sorry, those four categories of our sleepers, nappers, flappers, and snackers. I, I really like those categories. It's uh, easy to uh, keep them all in their place, really. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, it's like I said, it's a little kitschy, but it definitely kind of like okay, that's what they're doing, you know? Yep, and very easy to identify them too. Yes, for sure. Uh, so how can we support wildlife in the winter? So there are a lot of ways. A lot of it involves imitating um, natural ecosystems. Um, so thinking about creating the habitat that, you know, you might find in, an, in a natural space because a lot of our um, home landscapes are not super... Um, uh, diverse in the winter, you know, it's, it's like our, our, our grass and, um, maybe some, some, uh, bushes here and there, but it's, it's typically not as, um, providing as much cover or anything like that. So a big one, um, that I like to say that honestly, I personally enjoy, cause it makes my life easier is to leave your leaves. Um, so the leaves that fall in the fall time, um, and that you have to bag up depending on your city regulations, or maybe you push them somewhere else, leave them on the ground. Um, this provides really wonderful habitat for a lot of species. The woolly bear caterpillars um, go in the leaves to stay warm. Um, like I mentioned, that swallowtail caterpillar, um, its chrysalis looks like dried leaves. And that's because, you know, that's its adaptation for um, uh, like avoiding being eaten. Um, and then other insects will just live in those leaves. Um, and so that also provides good food for um, animals that eat um, other insects. And so um, maybe it's spiders, maybe it's millipedes, um, but also, you know, birds, things like that. Um, it also just provides insulation on the ground to keep it a bit warmer for nesting insects. Um, and even it'll keep your plants a little warmer. Um, some other things that you can do is leave your flower stalks. Um, it provides food for birds. Um, if you leave your, you know, your black eyed Susans, 
your sedums, cone flowers. If you really like finches, for example, leave your cone flower um, seed heads. And then also these um, flower stalks provide really good um, habitat for um, insects to lay their eggs. So carpenter bees, mason bees, leaf cutter bees all lay their eggs in these flower stalks. Um, and there, I mean, there's so many other examples. You can leave a little bit of bare space. Um, a lot of our, our native bee populations are ground dwelling insects. Um, and so they're ground nesting. And so they'll, um, they need a little bit of bare space. You could even um, like leave a log or other snags like other, um, you know, tree branches. Um, I, for example, I have a tree that loses, it's not looking super healthy. So it's starting to lose a lot of branches and things like that. And I have like a little pile that I kind of put my little branches at. Um, in, in the corner of my property. So that way it's it's out of the way, but it's also providing some habitat in the, among those um, you know dead branches and things like that. So there are lots of things you can do, but it really kind of goes down to imitating that natural space. Those, those all sound like wonderful tips uh, for helping uh, our wildlife here. Yeah, I um, it's, it's, it's a really great, um, like I said, keeping it that natural, um, imitation so that way why not why not learn those lessons that you know right. nature's already taken years to figure out for us <laughs> exactly uh so what if people don't want their yard to look like a forest uh can they still support wildlife that's a really great point um and i um i'm all about that um what i like to call the neighborhood friendly right so not everybody's neighbors want um you to have a forest and maybe you don't even want it either and so um, some big things you can do is like, if you don't like those, um, you know, seed heads kind of hanging up, for example, hostas tend to throw up flower heads and some people cut those right away. Um, you know, put them in a discrete part of your property, cut them, but put them in a discrete part of your property instead of throwing them away. Um, one thing I really like to do is, um, if you don't want your leaves on your grass, cause you're worried about it, killing your grass, um, you can brush the leaves into your flower beds. And actually, I think that makes your flower beds look really nice in the fall and in the winter. It serves as, you know, imagine like if you were mulching in the spring, it's kind of, it looks a lot like that, um, and gives them this really nice clean look. Um, while also saving you from bagging, having to bag your leaves or brush them by the street or whatever. And, um, and so it can save you some time. Another thing you can do um, is you can, I've seen people plant a log. That sounds kind of funny, but um, if you have a neighbor who just cut down a tree, you can plant a log in your yard, make it look really pretty. Do, you know, I don't know if you're into like cutesy, you can make it a fairy garden or whatever. Um, and um, that's also really wonderful habitat for, um, a lot of insects that like need that recently dead wood. And so that's a way that you can kind of make it look manicured and neighborhood friendly, but also support wildlife. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of people just love, love bagging their own leaves. So that's always fun, you know? <laughs> I, you know, I very much do not like bagging leaves. <laughs> I am, I am uh, whatever, a lot of the reasons I am, I do a lot of the things that I do that are wildlife friendly is because it's easier. Um, right. it's a lot easier to brush them into your garden beds. Um, it's easier to not cut your seed heads and to leave them. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's just the added benefit of well, as well of, of, uh, supporting wildlife. Very true. Uh, so are there cases in which uh, someone may not want to support wildlife? Yeah, so um, it's really, um, 
it's an important aspect of nature that weaker animals do not survive. Um, it sounds very harsh, but it really does keep up the fitness of species. It allows for healthy populations of whatever animals that we're talking about. And a really good example of that, which I'm sure a lot of our audience can relate to is um, deer. Um, they do not need our help. <laughs> In many places, we actually have to cull the herds um, because there are too many of them. So we wanna allow nature to do that first before we have to intervene. Um, so we don't really wanna provide them any food. Um, and we also need to remember that um, when it comes to providing food, the best thing that we can do is to provide the habitat that provides them food. Um, birds are a really good example of that. Um, a lot of people have bird feeders because they're like, oh, the birds need food in the winter, the birds need food. Um, but in reality, the birds need habitat. They need a place where they can um, stay protected. And then those places that are stay protected can produce food for them. Um, the bird feeders are really for us to enjoy them, um, to, to watch the birds come to our feeders and, and to enjoy that viewing. And so um, I'm not you know, saying don't hang your bird feeder, but if the reason you're hanging your bird feeder is so you know, to help the birds survive the winter, um, the best case scenario is actually to plant um, bushes and other species of plants that will support these birds. Um, so kind of keeping that in mind. Now, if you like viewing the birds, then, you know, of course, you know, hang your bird feeders, uh, make sure you're using, you know, black oil sunflower seeds, try not to use the packs that, um, you know, have lots of filler in them, things like that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's about if it depends on what your philosophy is for why you're feeding them. Another really good example of an animal you might not want to support, um, but somehow people always accidentally do is squirrels. Um, they survive just fine on their own. And in a lot of neighborhoods, mine especially, they really don't need help. Um, I've actually had many people comment on like the chubbiness, rotundness of the squirrels in my neighborhood. And I think it's because one of my neighbors is feeding them bread <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> trying to find them. I'm trying to find the neighbor and knock on their door um, because I really don't want it bread because there's bread keeps ending up in my back yard. But, um, but if you want to detract them from your bird feeder, um, or you really want to feed them, they do like unshelled peanuts, dried corn on the cob, things like that. Um, you know, but you know, if you're feeding the squirrels, cause you think they need help in the winter, I'm going to tell you right now, they do not need any help. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, they always, uh, especially in our neighborhood as well, they always seem to do just fine if there's no food out, so. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not providing any help to those squirrels. They don't need any more. Uh, so Abigail, are there other resources uh, that folks could go to and, uh, you know, read up on some of this, in this information? Yeah, um, so Extension has some really wonderful ones. Um, one of my favorite blogs with Extension is the Good Growing blog. Um, it's run by a, a team. Uh, across the state. And um, they have some really great tips on your yard. If you were like, oh yeah, I want to do more to support wildlife. Um, they have really wonderful tips on things like that. Um, if you want to read more up on, on the wildlife in Illinois and what they're doing, um, there's this website literally called Wildlife Illinois. Um, and they have all the resources you could ever need um, about identifying wildlife, um, supporting them. Maybe you want to detract 
um, some wildlife in your yard, um, identifying maybe you do have an issue, um, things like that, that will really help with that. And then lastly, um, there's a program up in the Northeast area of Illinois called Conservation at Home, but the resources are available statewide on our website. Um, and essentially it's this um, really wonderful way to, to find neighborhood friendly ways to support nature and promote bio, biodiversity and wildlife in your, in your yard and, and on, um, on private property. And so if you're looking for ways to do that as well, um, really, really wonderful resources with conservation at home. Abigail, thank you so much uh, for your time today and uh, giving us all of this wonderful information on uh, wildlife and what to do and help them out in the winter. Uh, yeah. Thank you again. Thanks so much, Gavin. I appreciate it. And that concludes uh, this month's edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.